Okay, good morning and welcome to week three of our series titled uh, Timeless Antique. So why this title? For those of you who don't know, I love antiques. I've been antiquing with my dad since I was like six years old and I actually now buy and sell vintage and antique on eBay. So it's like my life and I love it. My poor husband is like living in inventory at our house. But um, so the reason why we felt like this was a, a proper uh, title for a liturgy series is because first of all, there's nothing more antique than a liturgy. Okay, that's first of all. Second of all, what gives an antique its value? So there are three main components that give an antique its value. The origins of it, where it came from, the details that went into making it, and then the maker's mark, or who created that antique. And so the same thing, and, and these are the things that give an antique its value. So in the same way, if we're placing a value on the liturgy, we need to know where, what are the origins, um, who created it. We talked about that in week one. What are the details of it? What go into the liturgy? We talked about that in week two. And then... Um, the maker's mark, who created it, where did it come, like who was the creator of it. So if I know these things, I can automatically value the liturgy for myself. Does anybody know, so first for an item to be vintage is different than for an item to be antique. So pop quiz for you guys. Does anybody know how many years an item has to be in order for it to be considered vintage? No? 20. So it has to be 20 years or older to be considered vintage. What about antique? I think I heard it. 100 years. So it has to be 100 years or older for it to be considered antique. Pop quiz, some uh, fun facts for you guys this morning. Okay, so every week I've been starting out with this quote. So this sacrament, remember we talked about a sacrament having two parts, a seen element and an unseen element. So for the Eucharist or the liturgy, the communion that we take, what we see is the bread and the wine being offered as gifts, okay? And the unseen element, which is the work of the Holy Spirit, is the transformation of that bread and wine being turned into the body and blood of Christ. So this sacrament covers the whole dimension of our Christian existence. The significance of what it means to be a member of the church, what it means to grow in the image and likeness of God, what it means to love God and our fellow men, and what it means to receive the continuing presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Something that we have to continually do for the renewing of my soul. So now that we know where the liturgy came from, now that we know some parts of the liturgy that help me see God and connect a little bit with God week to week, how can I personally benefit and personally crave the liturgy from week to week? That's what we're going to be discussing today. So first, let's define the word liturgy. The word liturgy literally means the work of the people, okay? So... When you're cold, you put on a jacket. When you're hungry, you go and you eat. So if there is a need that you have, you always put action to it. So 
why do we expect anything different from the liturgy? If you are wanting to gain something out of the liturgy, if you have a need to gain something out of the liturgy, you have to put action to that. You have to participate, do the sign of the cross. Uh, offer yourself in prostration. Physically pray the prayers with the church. You have to put action to the need of wanting to gain something out of the liturgy. Okay, so will it take work? Absolutely. Does it require a action? Absolutely. And in this case, um, a lot of the times we have to practice this. Okay, we might have said this phrase ourselves. We might have heard it from our kids. Church is boring, okay? Let's define what boredom is, okay? And actually when I heard this, I was like, man, I can't hide behind this anymore, okay? So let's define boredom. The feeling you get when your time is dissolved into nothing and you can't do anything about it. Like there's nothing you can do. You feel like your time is being dissolved into something that you don't want to do, okay? It's a feeling inside of you having nothing to do with the thing itself. So I hate to break it to you, but it's all a feeling within you that boredom, that feeling that church is boring. Is church boring? Yeah, maybe, but the church church itself is not boring. But it's the feeling that I have within me being in church that causes me to be bored. Okay, and we'll get a little bit more into that. How do these feelings come about? My mind is wandering. I'm thinking about that project that's due at work on Monday morning. Um, I rather be there doing this or I rather be there doing that rather than being here. So my mind is wandering and I would rather be somewhere else than where I'm at, which is in the church, in the liturgy. Okay, so these are, these are how I can start to feel bored. So f I'll give you an example of uh, something that might not be so popular. So for me... I'm not a sports person. To me, sports are boring. Are sports themselves boring? No. But because I have no idea what's going on or who's playing who or whatever, I'd rather be doing something else with my time. So to me, sports are boring. I mean, uh, uh, to you, it might not be. Some, I say something on a Saturday that I rather do is go antiquing. That might be boring to you because you rather be watching sports. So it, it's all, it's, it all comes into perspective of what you rather be doing with your time, okay? Why are we bored in church sometimes? I don't know what's going on. Hopefully last week kind of helped a little bit with that or week two. I'm forced to be there. Either somebody is dragging me or I want to be there just to look good on the outside or I know it's good to go to church, but I have no idea why it's good. I just know it's good. So I'm there. I'm there out of habit. I'm there. I'm being forced to be there. Um, I tell myself that church is full of hypocrites. Why do I need to go? Everybody is just there for a show. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, so think about it for yourself. Why do you think church is boring? Why, why am I having this feeling of boredom in the church? So why go? 
Why go if it takes so much effort? I have to wake up early in the morning. I have to fight this boredom every Sunday. What's the point if I'm just struggling every Sunday? So here are four points of why I felt like it's worth it. We're going to go over these quickly, and then hopefully I can convince you. So first, atonement. I want you to think of this as a direct fellowship with God. Nothing comes in between you and God on Sunday morning. It's just you and God directly. There, there is no more having to go through a priest or having to go through an animal sacrifice like we talked, like we talked in day week one. Now it is a direct relationship, a direct connection between me and God. The most perfect, intimate marriage between me and God happens in the liturgy. The most perfect union that you can possibly think of between a man and a wife, a man and a, and a woman, that same relationship that you can conjure up in your head, that's what's happening between you and God on Sunday morning. So we're often forsaking him or cheating on him, if you will, and he's constantly going after us, knocking on our door and wanting us to come back. And so every single time you enter those doors of a church, that is the gateway to repentance. That is the gateway to coming back and reconciling with God after we've forsaken him so many times. Number two, the divine liturgy. Obviously, the, the, the doors of the church are a, a direct opening to the liturgy. We talked, back, we talked back in week one. The world will continue to change. There will be people that will come and will try to challenge what we do. And your practices are 2,000 years old. Aren't they outdated? Shouldn't we, shouldn't we start cutting the liturgy down? Shouldn't we start getting with the program in the 21st century and start taking bits and pieces out that are irrelevant? The world is constantly going to change. But we are literally living in a time capsule when we come to the liturgy. A never-changing time capsule that it has been the same since the very beginning. Bits and pieces might have been tweaked culturally, but the basis of the liturgy is never changing. And we have to remember that. We cannot change the liturgy to adapt to what the world is changing out there. We, we, have, to, we have to stay continue, continuous with what Christ set up 2,000 years ago. And that's something that we should be proud of. That's something that we should be proud to be a part of. So since we can't trust our feelings, we said boredom is part of a feeling. Since we can't trust these feelings, who should we put our trust in? We should put our trust, our spiritual life, obviously in the Lord first. But then what about all the men and women who came before us? The apostles, the bishops, the priests, the martyrs. Put your, put your, the control in the hands of these men and women who came before us and who have been through this journey that we're on right now and who have set up the liturgy from generation to generation from the mouth of Christ. When you go to fix your car, do you know what the guy is doing to fix your car? 
I mean, for me personally, I don't always know what's happening. But I put my trust in that person that is fixing my car, that's changing my oil, that's making sure that I'm going to have a, a running vehicle. So the same way where you put your trust into people who specialize it, who specialize in, in things that you need in your life, we, sh we too should look back at people who have specialized in using the liturgy and setting it up for us to what we have today. So trust in the traditions that have been set up over 2,000 years ago. Okay, what you see is not always what you get, okay? So you might see that crying baby in the corner or that annoying person that's on their phone that won't get off their phone or the two people that are in front of you that are chit-chatting the whole time. Those are the things that you might see. What you're not seeing are the angels that are there or the saints that are worshiping with us or the Lamb of God himself who is on the altar. These are things that we don't see with our eyes. I challenge us when you're in the liturgy, close your eyes and try to see the liturgy with your soul. Don't, don't look at what's happening with your eyes because there's a lot of distractions and wandering eyes can destroy the soul. Try to close your eyes and see the liturgy with your soul. Try to see those things that are there that you can't see physically with your eyes. Because as we said, our feelings can deceive us and so can our eyes. Our eyes can deceive us. We can start getting distracted and instantly start judging, start getting annoyed, and then you, you lose. You lose the peace and you lose the benefit of the liturgy. So what you see, it might not look like a holy place, but you are in a very, very holy place. And all you need to do is close your eyes and try to see that. Okay, number four, I eat the flesh of God in the liturgy. Where else can you say that you get the body and blood of Jesus? So just like um, Father Nate was talking about in the sermon today, the people who were following Jesus, it was like the best thing on earth that they were getting free meals. Okay, this was like something so unexpected. And you know what? We're following this guy because he's feeding us. Okay. When they came to ask for more free meals and he tried to shift their minds to, to, to the spiritual food, to the food of the soul, they were like, you want us to cannibalize? You want us to eat you? Like they thought that it was so foreign and it was so radical that he lost them. He completely lost them by trying to change their mindset and to, to get them to see the food of the soul. The only ones who were left were the disciples and a few. Let's see what, what, what Jesus told them, okay? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. 
He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. He says it four times. So he's like, if you didn't get it the first time or the second time, I'll, I'll just keep telling you in different ways. There was no riddle to this. It was very straightforward. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, eat my flesh. My flesh is food. Eat my flesh. He said it four times in order for them, for, for them to see. He was very straightforward about it. And so we also should not question this is the body and the blood, the flesh and the blood of the Son of Man that we partake of every Sunday. And, and we, I, I hope that this is something that we feel is the most important aspect of us coming on church to the liturgy. The Eucharist or communion is the, is the climax of the liturgy on Sunday, and why I am there. It is to partake of that body and, and blood. Another way I can benefit from the liturgy, don't just go to church. I want you to be the church, okay? I want you to make the church your own as a servant, not as a master. What do I mean by that? I don't want you to come to church saying, what can the church give me? What can I benefit from the church? But I want us instead to ask, what can I do for the church? How can I serve my church and make it the environment that I want to pass on to the next generation? How can I serve? You can chant with the deacons. You can read. If you're a deacon, you can read, read the scripture, read the word. Serve the priest. If you're a woman, you have a responsibility to intercede for, for each other, uh, man or woman. But I know sometimes when we talk about serving the priest, women say, how can I serve the priest? I can't go in the altar. I'm hoping Father Nate will invite me here again because I have a lot to say about that. But... Um, we have, we have a responsibility as you're standing to intercede for each other. Teach your kids what's going on in the church. This is ways that you can become active and participate in the liturgy. Just doing the sign of the cross in the liturgy is a very active role that you can take to participate. Reciting the, the hymns and the prayers that are up on the screen or in your heart those, those are very active ways that you can participate and be a part of the church during the liturgy. Use the icons, okay? We are very blessed that in this location, we are able to fill the walls with all of our icons. I challenge you when you're looking at the icons to don't focus on what, who the saint is. Okay, look at the colors, look at the clothes. Sometimes there are animals in the icons. Look at the landscape and the buildings that are there. Look, look, look at the, the components that are in the icon. And then naturally, you will start contemplating on what that icon wants you to see. That's the definition of an icon. It's an image of something that we see that has so many different components, but it allows me to see 
an, a, a deeper meaning. It symbolizes, it, it has so many symbolisms so that I can see God through, through that, that picture or through that painting. Okay, so all the little components symbolize something. This is one of my favorite icons of um, Elijah under the broom tree. And Elijah was at his wit's end, and he was, like, he was ready to die, actually. And he went, and he, he laid under the broom tree, and God sent him this angel, not once, but twice, to come and take care of him, to bring him food, and for him to literally rest. And so I, I have this issue of feeling guilty if I'm not doing something all the time. And then I burn myself out, and then, like, I'm just like a couch potato. That's not resting properly. So this icon helped me a lot realize how God wants us to rest. It's very important for us to rest. And now I have this, I, I blew it up. I went to Sam's. I blew it up. It's in my house. And now it's a constant reminder of taking the time to rest and to rest in God properly all the time. So put, icon, put those icons in front of you as a way for you to contemplate during the liturgy. What does God want me to see? What does God want, want to tell me today? Before I started preparing, I had no idea what this word means, okay? So this word, nepsis, it's the ultimate wakefulness and watchfulness that constitutes a condition of sobriety and clarity. Like someone that's 100% on their A game, you have no distractions. It's just a clear focus on what you are trying to focus on or achieve, okay? I want us to strive for nepsis during the liturgy. I want us to have this word with its definition. I want us to, f to, to strive for this, okay? How can I attain this? Two things to remember. Constant remembrance of God. My, my mind is constantly focusing on him. I'm trying to take all the distractions of the world, the earthly cares, and just constantly focusing on God. And then, like I said, laying aside the cares of life, removing the fog that weighs me down and bogs me down and, uh, and, and hides the face of God from me, okay? So constant remembrance of God and laying aside all cares. There are two elements of prayer that I want us to keep in mind, the mind and the heart, okay? And I don't want us to get this confused because one is a one is deceiving and one is what drives your prayers. One is the one that's going to pull you in the direction that you need to go to connect with God. So for our mind, I want us when we come on Sunday to clear our mind of all earthly cares, to reach that heavenly that heavenly spot that we are in on Sunday. That meeting that is coming up that project that's due, that issue that I'm having with that person, that issue that I'm having with my spouse, forget about it. Forget about it for just the, the time that you are there to meet with God. I read something this week. A wandering mind 
is like someone that's standing outside in the lobby of the church. So if your mind is wandering, you might as well not be there at all. Ask God, literally ask him to bring your mind back into the church. Ask him to, to pull your mind back and bring it back into your body in the church. Because when our minds wander, we're farther away than, we, than where we need to be. Okay, let's talk about the heart. The heart is what pulls you to God. Even if you are struggling to find a connection in the liturgy, even if you are struggling with why do we do this, why does it have to be this, whatever, whatever is going on in your mind that, that is causing you to struggle, your heart will continue to pull you no matter what, okay? So you want to keep, you want to, to listen to your heart, okay? And by the way, that struggle is the most valuable thing to God. Like you struggling, I don't want us to ever feel bad for struggling because that is the most valuable thing that you can give to God is your struggle. Because that means that your heart is being pulled in the right direction. So I want us to allow our hearts to train our minds, okay? Because the heart knows God and the mind wanders. So we don't want to follow our mind. We don't want to follow what the feelings our mind is giving us. I want to follow my heart because my heart is the one that knows God and my heart is the one that's pulling me away. Okay, so when you enter the church, leave your problems at the door. Sorry for the cliche, but just leave your problems at the door. But I do want to say something here because I, I know some of us might say, but I thought I'm supposed to bring my problems to God. I thought I'm supposed to bring my problems to pray about them. If you're going to bring your problems to pray about them and leave them at the feet of God and forget about them, then by all means, bring your problems with you. But if you're going to bring them and it's going to continue to circle in your mind and it's going to continue to distract you, you're not praying about them and they're not being solved. So there is a difference between I'm bringing my problems to God and they're distracting me and I'm not doing anything about it and I'm bringing my problems and I'm leaving them at his feet. I'm leaving them on the altar and I'm forgetting about them. I'm 100% trusting that now he has them and he can do whatever he wants with them. Okay, so there is a difference. Okay, I just have to say forgive me for this next part, but I feel like I need to be a little bit straightforward here. So... I was definitely that person who rolled my eyes and got super annoyed at that baby in the back that was making noise. And I kept telling myself, why can't that mom just get their baby to be quiet? And now that I am a mom and I have my own baby, I know it's not that easy. <laughs> and I cannot tell you how self-conscious we are as moms about the noise that our babies make. Okay, we are so self-conscious. And like my baby is seven and a half months. I tell her, shh, be quiet. Of course she can't understand, shh, be quiet. She doesn't know what I'm saying. And I'm so self-conscious that I'm going to throw somebody off or I'm going to make somebody upset or somebody's going to come and tell me something. So 
for those who don't have kids or for those who forgot what it's like to have kids, when you shush somebody or when you give somebody a dirty look because their child is being too loud, you can cause that person to feel so uncomfortable that they don't want to come anymore. They don't want to be there with their child anymore. So not only have you caused that person to not come anymore, but now their child is not in church either. So I, some suggestions might be the back is usually reserved for the kids. So go to the front. I don't know why everybody is allergic to the front to the front of the church. I mean, <laughs> but like go to the front where where it's a little bit more, you know, it's quieter. There's no not as many distractions. Close your eyes. Try to reach that nepsis point where you are not being distracted by anything. You're seeing with your soul and nothing else is distracting you. Okay? I want to talk to the mamas for out there for a second. I feel you. I know it's difficult. Some Sundays are worse than others. Please continue to bring your kids to church. I don't care how loud they are. That noise that they are making in the church is the sweetest sound to the Lord. He loves hearing them in the church. And so I want us to kind of be on the same page with that. Um, it's a difficult it's a difficult situation. I know we don't want to distract each other and it's it's difficult, but the kids are here. So let's try to work together and and just always remember that I can be personally responsible for how focused I am. And at the same time, I want to encourage moms to not to not to be too self-conscious about your kids because you bringing them, one day they're going to be sitting up front with you quiet. But you have to keep bringing them. So I feel like one day I'll be up front again with my child. I'll, I'll get there one day. But for now, we're in the back because she wants to talk. So it, it's just the cycle of life. It's the, the, the time of life right now, and we all go through it. Okay, I want to talk about the difference between public prayer and private prayer. So first and foremost, the main reason why public prayer is so important is that we are all the body of Christ. Once you're baptized and you receive chrismation, you have been grafted into the body, okay? So this is a way for us to, to be united again as one body. We all partake of the same body. And so we are unified through the Eucharist every Sunday. So that's first and foremost. A lot of people say, well, I have a great relationship with God. Why do I have to come to the liturgy on Sunday if I have a great relationship on Sunday outside? So if you're just praying at home and you're not coming to the church, that's as if someone is like, let's just say someone is in engaged to someone else for like 20 years. There's no commitment there. You haven't sealed the deal. You haven't shown any commitment to that relationship, okay? And then the opposite is true. If I'm only coming to church, I'm only coming to the liturgy, but I have no relationship at home with God. That's as if you're just, you're walking on the street and you pick somebody random from the street and you say, we're gonna get married today. 
without having any relationship whatsoever. So we have to have both. There has to be that relationship on the outside of the walls and then the inside of the walls, that's that commitment that I have to the marriage between me and God. Public prayer. We need to pray in the church, with the church, to learn about the church. Try to say that ten times fast. So we need to pray in the church, with the church. Whatever the, ch the, the hymns and the prayers that the church are giving us are laid out perfectly for us to go through that journey every Sunday. So we need to pray in the church, with the church, to learn about the church. Let's see what I mean about that. In John eleven forty one to 42, it says, then they, by the way, some context, this is the raising of Lazarus. So Lazarus was one of Jesus's very close friends and he had passed away. And after four days, uh, Christ went to his tomb to raise him. Okay, so this is what's happening. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, Lazarus. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I say this, that they may believe that you sent me. So sometimes we pray in order for us to believe what we're saying. Sometimes we pray in order for us to learn what that prayer is or how that prayer is to be um, uh, impactful in my life. Another example, we read this in, um, we, we pray this in the liturgy of St. Gregory uh, in the consecration prayer. It is fitting indeed and right that we praise you, bless you, serve you, worship you, and glorify you, the one only true God, the lover of mankind, ineffable, invisible, infinite, without beginning, everlasting, timeless, immeasurable, incomprehensible, unchangeable, creator of all, savior of everyone. Do we have to remind God of all of these things that he is? Do we have to tell him you're ineffable, you're unchangeable? Do we have to tell him these things? No, it's not for him, it's for us. We are reminding him, but really we are reminding ourselves. We are reminding our brains of the, the God that we are in front of. So we come on Sunday for public prayer in order for us to stay connected and for us to continue to believe in the things that we are praying. Private prayers. I want you to, I'm talking about private prayers in the context of the liturgy. So I heard this analogy one time. If you're sitting in a meeting and, or, or, or in a class and it's really boring, it's going really bad, you're not focused, automatically what's the first thing you do? You go to pull out what? You go to pull out your phone because I'm like, okay, I need to, I need some kind of stimulation. I need some entertainment. If your phone is not charged, you're not going to have that, that device available. The same thing with our private prayers. If we start to feel like we're drifting, if we start to feel like my mind is wandering, if I go to pull out my personal prayers during the liturgy, 
if you haven't charged them at home, they're not going to work for you in the liturgy. You're going to be stuck. You're not going to have the words. You're not going to know what to say or how to pray. So we have to make sure that our prayers are charged for Sunday. Okay? Okay. I, I could not talk about the liturgy without dedicating a whole entire section to Father Luke. Um, Father Luke, the, the, the late Father Luke, was my very first spiritual father. When I was six years old, I started confessing with Father Luke. And he literally, I grew up with him as my second father. And I cannot stand here today and say that I love the liturgy on my own accord. Because of Father Luke, I can stand here today and say that I love the liturgy. He's the one that helped guide me in falling in love with the liturgy. The way he would describe things and the way that he would just make it sound like it's the most valuable thing on earth made me fall in love with the liturgy. There are two things that Father Luke would always tell me about how I can connect with the liturgy. Two things. Come early and pray the liturgy. Okay, let's talk about this. So it was funny because I remember when he said come early, he's like, I mean from the beginning. Like come from the very beginning. And as a night owl, I am not a morning person. Do not talk to me in the morning. Like, it's not my thing. I struggle to be up in the morning. So immediately I wanted to just be like, there's no way. I'm not going to come to the liturgy from the beginning. So what he told me was, pick a time that you're going to come and make sure you come that same time every single Sunday. Okay, just just put it in your mind. I'm going to come at this time and come every single Sunday at that time. Then come 30 minutes earlier. Then come 30 minutes earlier. When you go to the same part of the liturgy every single Sunday, you're going to feel like, first of all, you're committed to that time. And then you're going to want more. Okay, you are going to want more. So with the second part, pray the liturgy. Pick a part that has resonated with you or pick a part that you want to learn more about and pray it in your personal prayers at home. And and so the, the, the reason why coming early was such a big deal for Father Luke is he told me, he said, do you watch a movie from the, from the middle? Do you hear a story from the middle of the story? Of course not because you'll feel confused you'll feel lost, you'll feel bored because you don't know what's happening. So if you're praying the liturgy at home and you're coming at a specific time, if it's not from the very beginning, you're going to automatically feel like you want another piece of the story. You're not getting the whole story. You're missing a piece. And so you're going to want to come earlier. And then you're going to want to come earlier. And then eventually you'll find yourself coming from the very beginning. So Try to have these two things as your goals and then see how far it will get you um, to come early and then also always pray the liturgy. Have it in your mind. I remember actually sometimes 
whenever we would be sitting with Father Luke in a meeting or in a gathering, he would always be like humming under his breath parts of the liturgy or hymns that you hear during Vespers or liturgy. So whenever you keep the liturgy in your heart, you will constantly, it will constantly be pulling you all the time. Nowadays, like I said uh, on week two, I'm running around, I'm changing a diaper, I'm giving a bottle, like I'm, I'm doing a whole bunch of things. But I find myself, my favorite parts of the liturgy, when I hear Abuna in the background, they, I, I just automatically start saying them because that's, that's a part that has, has resonated in my heart and now that's something that's pulling me back to the liturgy. Even though I might not physically be there, I'm doing something else. So that's how we can have that connection. Final thing, sure, church is boring sometimes, but a mature person learns, more than learns, struggles to make the time real, valuable, intimate, and life-giving. So even if you're struggling, there is still value to that. Your heart is still pulling you in the direction it needs to go. So this is actually a quote from a new book that we have on the connection table. And this book actually helped me with preparing most of today's lesson. So help on board at church. If you are into sarcasm, he's very sarcastic. He's very funny. It's a very easy read and he brings it in a lighthearted way so that you can really, really apply it. So check out the connections table for... Um, this book. So that's it. I really hope that y'all can um, take what we learned about from the liturgy and kind of connect a little bit more and that it will help us with um, wanting to be here every single Sunday. Okay, thank you. Um, let's stand up to pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, so much for this gift that you've given us to come and to meet you on Sunday to partake of your holy body and precious blood. We thank you for the intimacy that you continue to, to desire to have with us. We ask that you continue to pull our hearts towards you, to give us connections in the liturgy so that we don't feel bored, we don't feel like our time is being wasted, but that we crave to be with you on Sunday morning. We ask you to please help us with our relationship with you, not, all, not only in the, the, the walls of the church, but outside. We ask you to please help us teach our kids to love the liturgy so that this tradition may continue and be as strong as ever from generation to generation. We ask all these things through the intercession of St. Mary, St. Moses the Strong, St. John, St. Mark the Beholder of God, and all your saints. Hear us as we pray together. Thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen.